everyone has a story, I get them to tell it. Welcome to the Aaron Bender Podcast, conversations with media personalities about their personal and professional lives and journeys. Thank you so much for all your support, whether you're listening on your favorite platform or the DBNA TV app on Amazon Fire, Roku, and Apple TV, or streaming 11 p.m. Pacific every night on DBNA TV at dbnatelevision.tv, or whether you're watching on IGTV or YouTube. Thank you so much. Before we get to my conversation with Chuck Dizzle, a little about my story. I'm a widowed dad of two girls who just lost their mom, a grieving husband, a man in recovery trying to reconnect with the world with fresh eyes, faith, and perspective, a college journalism professor, a white guy in a world of injustice, a 20-year broadcast media veteran who had his dream job and then lost it. Nearly two years ago, God gave me a gift, an opportunity to stop, step back, and breathe so I can learn about love, vulnerability, forgiveness, grace, self-care, patience, and understanding. Chuck Dizzle is one of the founders of Homegrown Radio. You can hear it nightly, Monday through Saturday, 7 o'clock, on Real 92.3 here in Los Angeles, alongside previous podcast guest, DJ Head. Chuck and I talk about fatherhood, sobriety, and not giving up on dreams, even when it feels like the world has given up on you. So how old are you now? I am 38. 38. I just think about that because I'm like, wow. Like, <laughs> well, because 2020, everybody everybody just kind of forgot ages because nobody got Man. to celebrate any birthdays or anything like Low that. Key. Low I key. ask that because you're coming up now on about 30 years since I read age 10, you had basically decided, okay, I'm going to be in radio one of these days I'm going to crack open a mic and somebody is going to hire me or somebody is going to uh, have me on their radio. What around age 10 do you feel like sparked that interest? Well, I know specifically it was a station out here called 92.3 The Beat, right? Yes, yes. And I used to always listen to John London in the house party. It was like my soundtrack. Oh, John up. So London. I would listen yes. John London in the house party growing up. So I would always flop between John London and Big Boy. Like if yep. you're from LA, those are the two, you know, the, the two jocks that you were listening to. So throughout the day, I would always hear these personalities on air. But one day, John London had this guy uh, named P-Funk. Now, if you guys don't know, he was one of the street team guys. He was like the main street team guy for John London and House Party. He was out in the streets and he was actually in my city. I live in Carson. And as we were driving, me and my sister were driving down the street. It was in the summertime, driving down the street. And he happened to be broadcasting live from that. Uh, it was like a Jack in the Box parking lot. Yeah. Either way, we were driving past. And as I'm hearing him say, hey, we're live on the corner of Delamo and Avalon, yo, with some some uh, 92.3 to beat t-shirts, make some noise. And the crowd went crazy. As we're driving, I see him like in real time. And it was like one of those moments where I felt like, I don't know, I just felt like it was like God telling me like, yo, whatever he's doing, I want to do that, yeah. you know? And yeah. that, that was the spark that got me into saying, okay, radio, street team. Okay, what is all this? Let me figure it out. And that sparked my interest from then. How were the parents with that? My mom loved it. I mean, she did. And I never said, I never went to my mom and said, hey, mom, I want to be a radio personality. It was just that initially that was just the spark of like, I wonder what that is. Right. Yeah. yeah. And 
you know, at that moment, I wanted to be like an astronaut or something like this. <laughs> so, you know, that was that was what I was telling my mom. Mom, I want to go to space camp. I want to I want to be an astronaut. She's like, look, I can't afford that. Yeah. Uh, so I think for her seeing that I had different interests, it was, you know, it was it was a love for that. You know, now uh, when I talk with people who knew at an early age that I wanted to be on the radio, I wanted to be on TV, but they didn't quite know how to be on the radio, how to be on TV. At what point did you start kind of mapping things out or connecting some dots to get you on the radio because it's not like, uh, okay, you're on the beat. All right. Look at me going back to my LA. Uh, you're, you're on real 92, three now. Um, and, and have been, you know, off and on for several years. And of course, just recently, what late 2020 homegrown is secure seven o'clock Monday through Saturday. But it, uh, it, it wasn't always like, okay, I'm going to be on the radio and, and here I am. You had to kind of start things yourself, start things at home. At what point did you start kind of mapping things out? Well, high school, really. I mean, again, seeing these radio personalities, seeing the street team going into various events, I would always pop up on them. Where did you go to school? Long Beach State. Long, Long Beach State, State okay. is where, where I got my degree, um, in, actually in psychology of all things. <clears throat> but yeah, so yeah, that, that's where the, the path kind of really started for me. Now, uh, you didn't leave L.A., though. You stayed in L.A. What's interesting about that, a lot of people told me that in the beginning. Yo, you would have to leave L.A. in order to do L.A. Ready. And I was fine with doing that. You know, that was I, I was so hell-bent on saying, you know, whatever it takes to be in radio, I'll do it. I'll, I'll work in Nebraska. I'll work in Hawaii. I'll work wherever. South Dakota, put me anywhere. And I would send my demos later down the line. I would send my demos to all of these stations. And it just, man, it's the way the way universe God works, it's just so fitting that it allowed me to stay in Los Angeles and work for a couple of different stations out here. At what point did you, were you the closest to giving up? Because almost everybody in radio and TV and some media, some fashion thinks to themselves, okay, that's it. I, I just, I'm not going to do this. I can go into sales. I can, you know, a buddy can get me a job somewhere where it's just not going to work for me. At, at what point were you the closest to giving up? It happened a few times. I mean, it, it, it wasn't a give up thing. Let me, let me be clear about that. It was never a give up thing, but it was definitely like, okay, let me put a pause on this and, you know, figure out something else in the meantime. Right. And, and I remember at like 25, my mom's just like, look, you've went to school, you've graduated, you know, you've now you've pursued it. One thing that stands out for sure is I, I remember driving like three hours to do an audition, a live audition at a station in Santa Maria. And they liked me. They said, Hey, you know, you're the guy we're going to, we're going to hire you. going to, you know, put you on. You're going to be the afternoon jock. Great. I got the job. And it was one of those things where I'm like, okay, th I finally arrived. I finally made it and drove all the way back home. Yeah, I waited to hear that call from him that weekend. Never heard anything. A week went by, followed up, never heard anything. Two weeks went by, a month goes by. And I was, I was, obviously, I didn't get the job. And that was one of those moments where it was like, well, damn, am I meant to do this? It, it, it really hurt. And, you know, moms was hounding me at that point, like, okay, you've, you went to school, you've graduated, you got a degree, um, you, you followed my steps as far as what I wanted you to do. You've pursued your career now. It didn't work out like, you know, at right. this point, what do you want to do? And I, I never had a giving up moment, but that was one of those moments where I'm just like, yo, I don't understand. Right. And I'm a, I want to put a pin there because it, it makes sense down the line. Um, 
And I, I just, I never, I never gave up. And I ended up working for a couple of different stations after the fact. But re- revisiting that years later, I realized had I, had I got that job, I would have never, never really started homegrown because I would have been so caught up in doing that job that I wouldn't have built my own platform, right? I wouldn't have linked up with DJ Head. A lot of these things that are that are happening now, years later, the success that people see, none of that would have happened if I would have got that job that I thought was for me years back, you know? But so that, that was one of those giving up moments. That was one of those moments where I was like, is it really meant to be? And, you know, it took 15, 15 years later to say, oh, no, it really was meant to be. This is the path that you were supposed to take. Did you know your wife at that point? And- I didn't. Okay, so yeah, so there there'd be no wife, there'd be no son, like yeah, as None as it is things. now. So exactly, what went into uh, starting homegrown? So at while I was in college, um, a lot of these. So mind you, when I was doing homegrown from Long Beach State, because there's mm-hmm. a lot of like layers and how the story goes. But right. as I was doing college radio, doing uh, Long Beach State, um, I also had that internship. So I was working for one radio station and I would notice this is my first time going in. I would realize, oh, it doesn't happen. You don't just play music off the streets. Like if somebody gives you the CD off the streets, I was under the impression that, oh, I can just take the CD, press play (laughs) on it. Everybody's happy, right? (laughs) Nope. Nope. Doesn't go that way. So I learned that the hard way by, by realizing like there was a CD that somebody gave me and I gave it to one of the jocks. He's like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll listen to it. And I went back into the promotion department, like a little later on that day. And that CD that I gave him was in the bin with along with a gang of other CDs. And I'm yeah, like, yeah, well, that's not fair. Like these, these artists are putting their, 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 their livelihoods and just their, their, their time, their sweat, their energy. I want to be responsible to help some of those artists out. So long story short, um, I made it my mission when I was doing, you know, college radio to say, okay, I, I want to have a sector of a, a section of that show to do the stuff like that, like yeah. promote upcoming artists, upcoming talent. Um, and that just fueled into me and DJ head meeting by one of our, um, one of our close friends, rest in peace by the name of smarts, man. He, he saw what head was doing as a personality and, and somebody that was doing college radio at Cerritos. And he saw what I was doing at Long Beach State. He was like, yo, you guys need to meet. Like, this is something, it could be something here. We linked up and I told him at the time I was like, yo, I'm, I'm thinking about, taking this to my house and kind of figuring it out. Cause I'd already graduated at that point. You know, I, I was already done. Like I wasn't supposed to have a key card, but I still finesse my <laughs> way in to still do my show all of these years. And after like the fourth year, they're like, all right, Chuck, there's no way you can actually do this anymore. You're not pursuing a degree. You already, you've already graduated three, four years ago. Um, they, you know, they, we, we, we can't do this any longer. So end up linking up with head and, and uh, with a by mutual friend. And we figured out how to do it for my apartment. And that was just the start of a beautiful thing out in 09. Now, uh, anybody wants to listen to the uh, DJ head podcast that is uh, a little farther back on the, uh, on the timeline here. But if you did listen to that already, you know, DJ head is one of the most blunt, honest, no bullshit kind of guys. Uh, how quickly did you realize that? and or have to adjust to that or accept that well my if you can already tell my personality i'm i'm go with the flow right i can adjust to people's personalities i'm i'm very easy going when it comes to that I, i've had i've linked up with a lot of people different people over the years dj head by far is one of the most honest like you said blunt individuals but what people don't see is that he's one of the most caring individuals too yeah he'll give you the shirt off his back 
Um, he'll give you the last of his money. We, we've grant, grinded a lot over the years, having no money together, trying to figure this out, piecing things together. So one of the characteristics that I realized from him early on, like, although he was blunt, I realized that, yo, if he's down with you, oh, you solid. He's loyal, right? And that's yeah. the same quality that I have, right? And I, I realized that we balance each other out perfectly because a lot of the things that I might not want to say, I know he's going to go there. <laughs> he's going to say So it that. works out. Hey, you can do the dirty work. I'll take that, right? And then I can also I can also clean his his image up a little bit um, in a sense of like he'll I, I can give him a different perspective that he may have not have seen before. Right. And right. he'll take that and run with it. He might not address it right away, but he'll take it to heart. And, and that's what I love about him is that a lot of people don't don't necessarily get I think they're seeing it now in the last year or two versus before when I first met Head. Right. He had a series that he used to do on, on YouTube early in the YouTube days before content was really anything, right? He had a series called Everybody Loves Head. Oh, no. Oh, right? No. So just the, the title alone was just like, wait. <laughs> it's in your what? face. It's, it's yeah. in your, exactly. But that showed me early on, like, he's willing to go there. And I'm willing to go there when it comes to my career and my passion and the things that I love. And I've, and I've never met anybody like that. So early on, we noticed that about each other. It was like, Oh, we were attached at the hip at that point. So um, it was an easy adjustment to answer your question. It was an easy adjustment yeah. because I, I realized that he, excuse my French, he gave a fuck. He really did give a yeah. fuck. Right. Yeah. When it comes to things that he loves, he, he gives a fuck about it. So um, it was, it was an easy transition. And even now when, when things are kind of like rough around the edges or like, ah, oh, I'm not willing to go there. I'm kind of glad that he's willing to do it because it makes me, it helps me get uncomfortable and step outside of my box and approach things from a different mindset. Oh, the uncomfortable conversations that you can have with somebody like DJ head are so necessary, especially these last few years where it's like, you know what? I, I've got some things I'd like to address or I've got some things I'd like to learn about or whatever. And uh, conversations with DJ Head are a great way to get there. I'm sorry. You, it, it went in and out. I'm sorry. No, that's you, okay. You were, you were on a screenshot mode too. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uncomfortable conversations, uh, especially this year, last year, the last few years are so necessary. And as as a white guy who, you know, I, I've I've been sheltered. Uh, you know, as, as much as I'd like to think that I'm, you know, um, you know, knowledgeable about this, that, or the other, I know that I can go to somebody like DJ head and be like, Hey, can you, can you tell me a little bit more about this, that, or the other? And he's going to be, yeah, it's, it's a, B and C. And you, you learned how to do, wash your legs too, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, you did not go there. <laughs> That was gold. I'm like, yo. Oh. And, and the thing is about head too, <laughs> I, I see it from a mile away. I'm like, they don't know. They're about to set themselves up. Oh, and oh no, I knew. I knew oh, too okay. you, because you saw it I don't know if it was you and and uh, head on with JoJo, right? JoJo. Yeah, yeah. But I saw that. I was like, okay, I Boy, know JoJo. when we're talking. It's, it, it's, it's got to come up. Right. <laughs> it's got to come up. I'm yeah. going to I'm gonna throw some dates at you um, because the month of June and the month of September – those two months seem to be like really big in your life. Right. And so let me, let me run down some dates here. Um, and I'll just try to take them in as best order as I can. September 5th, 2011. That's coming up on 10 years now since your dad passed. It was actually, you said, so one more time. September, date. September 5th, 2011. Right. Wow. Yeah. 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 So we're coming up next month, uh, yeah. just a few weeks away. Um, how how did he end up passing? Because you were, I mean, you weren't even in your, you weren't even thirty yet. 
Yeah, I was so so ironically, man, we were having a Labor Day party. Labor Day was his his holiday, right? Yeah. So we would always go over there. He would always barbecue. That was his day. Like family comes over, like so his, his couple of his brothers and sisters that would fly into town just to go to his his house for his birthday, right? Not his birthday, the uh, for for Labor Day. Yeah. So he actually uh, passed away on Labor Day, and we were all around. It was like a it was a crazy situation. Um, and it was it's so weird how a lot of these things happened too. It was right around the time I started DJing because um, I, you know, got some equipment at the time and he never really got a chance to see me play anywhere like that because it was, I was just now getting into it. And same thing with radio. He, he was around for a couple of those years. Yeah. Um, That's in, what in I was going to ask like, is if he got yeah, an opportunity to, to really kind of see what homegrown could be. He saw the, the early days of it. Right. And he, and he, and the thing is the apartment that we initially did it out of, that was his apartment. Okay. So it was, it was his complex. So he was like, Hey, look, anything that you need, I, I know you're trying to pursue this thing. Right. So if I can offer up my space in any way, shape or form, I'm like, well, okay, we're looking for a space. <laughs> well, to do this. We, need, we need a space. <laughs> we need a space. Just so happens I'm moving into the apartment. So this is perfect. If you don't mind, like he was a landlord. So I'm like, it's going to be noisy. It's going to be a lot of stuff happening. It's going to be a lot of activity. He's like, look, as long as you're keeping it safe and you're not really disturbing. It's healthy which, activity. Right. Right. It's, it's healthy it's, activity. Yeah. It, it it worked out. So he was in, in that sense. Yes. He saw the early days of it and, but he never saw it to this degree, obviously. Yeah. But to, to answer your question, he passed away on, on Labor Day um, while I was actually DJing or playing music for his, um, his Labor Day, uh, I can say event or, but right. for the family or whatever. And it was, it was a heartbreaking moment, man. But I, I found, I, I always kind of like find joy in these moments um, one of our last moments, I was playing one of his favorite songs. So it was like, you have those moments to like, you look at it in the moment, like, yo, my dad was never the, Hey, I love you kind of person. He was never that, but we had a conversation two months before that about why he was never like that. And all these questions that I had growing up, he was a father that was in my life. So I don't want to paint this picture that he wasn't there, but he just emotionally, he just wasn't there like that. Right. So I, I addressed everything. So for me, I find closure and, and being able to have the, being able to have those conversations to him prior to him passing, and even something as traumatic as seeing him pass away in front of us, it was the the, the closure in that is like, yo, we had our our last moment together, right? You know, playing his last song, him, you know, just you know, nodding his head like, yo, whatever. Um, but you know, it was it was a tragic situation. He passed away of a mar- massive heart attack uh, on on Labor Day, wow. unfortunately. Wow. Yeah. And and you bring up the conversations you had with him that summer, the idea that as we grow older and as we become parents and, you know, you've got, uh, uh, you've got a young son, the, the idea that we understand our parents have origin stories of their own that we may never know completely as much as they want to tell us, they're still, as they get older, most often trying to shield us from their own origin stories. But you got to have a conversation and a series of conversations with your dad that summer that he, that he passed where it's like, okay, okay. I get to learn. I get to learn a little bit about him so that I see him more as a man rather than this, this flawed father. No, absolutely. And, and, and a couple of things that just to kind of spawn into what, how it affected me in life. Like, so that, that moment that I had those conversations with him, like you said, the origin stories, his father was never like that with him. His father was a great man, raised 13 kids, you know, you know, uh, entrepreneur, all that, right? 
but he just wasn't that affectionate as well as a father. So fast forward me, I'm like, yo, I'm going to overcompensate that with my son. I'm going to make sure. I, I said this yes. on my gram. My dad probably, I want to say, kissed me five times in my life. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I can probably, I literally can count five times that I've probably kissed my father, right? I do that more in one day my son every single day just because i'm i want to overcompensate that love and affection and show him like yo i'm not i'm not that dad and nothing to take away from him but it's just i want to make sure i overcompensate that for my son and one of the last conversations i had with my dad was um about my wife my dad was a pastor so i was like yo dad i want i actually want you to marry me me and tasha he had just met her she'd been around for two years Actually, no, it's yeah, around two years at that time. Yeah. I was like, I think I'm getting serious about this girl. She's really nice. Like, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm in love with her and I, I want to do it. I just, you know, I, I got to do this. I got to get the ring and I don't have the money. He's like, yo, you'll, you'll never be ready if you keep on thinking about it in that sense. Do you want to do it? Yes. We'll make it happen. If you have, you never, don't be, don't, don't look for the right moment. There's not going to be a right moment. Right now is the right moment. And that's probably one of the things that I, I regret not in regret, but I'm like, damn, I really, <clears throat> I wish that he had that moment to actually marry us. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. But I, I know obviously his spirit is with us and, and, you know, we take that, we, we take that with us, you know, it's, it's a very special moment. That conversation that you had with him where he's just like, you know what, just, just do it already. I mean, he passed in September of 2011, you get engaged in November of that year and you, you get married seven months later. How much of him was in your mind and how much of his voice were you hearing as you're going through that process? Oh, every day it was like, yo, we don't have time to play around. And, and it was more of like, cosigns in a sense of like you know my so my my wife had a dream like um like a couple of weeks after he had passed and she saw him because he would he would often water the lawn outside and you know take care of the uh the property and she was like it was pouring rain and i saw your dad outside watering the lawn i was like what the hell is he doing yo (laughs) mr doris you okay what's going on you okay he's like i'm fine i'm good i'm you guys are okay and that brought me so much comfort. The way I interpreted that dream was that he's going to always be around no matter the good days or the bad days. And, and I take his memory, you know, to with me, you yeah. know, that through, through those times. And, and that's, that's kind of how I took it on from that moment. Cause planning a wedding and planning a funeral are the two most, how do I say? Like, it's, it's very stressful. It's very yeah. intense. You know, if anybody's ever been married and if you've ever had to plan a funeral and I have to go through those two within a year, it, it, it taught me a lot about myself. It taught me what I can actually handle what I, you know, what I can deal with and what I can go through, what I can overcome. Um, and I, I felt like his spirit, his spirit, his presence was with me throughout that whole time. Cause he was one of those fathers again, not super emotional, but he was tough as a fucking nail, right? <laughs> right. He can, he, he can, he can go with the best of them. So I felt like those things that I, I, those qualities and traits that I felt like, man, maybe I lacked, I don't know if I have them. I felt like he, man, just strapped that on me. It was like, yo, you got this handle it. Things that I, I felt like I probably would have snapped over. It was just that extra encouragement, that extra battery. And I felt like he, his, his presence was with me for sure. There are so many different places we can go, but I'll just kind of keep that same kind of June and September theme you brought up your son, June 18th of 2018. Take me to that day, you and your wife welcoming your son. Oh, man. I, as much as I want to say it was the, it was, it was the biggest blessing, but it was a, it was a traumatic experience. I, I'll leave that out of this. But the, the, the best part about it is that we did, you know, 
successively give birth to our, our, our baby boy, man. And it just, it gave me the, the motivation to say, okay, now you're not living for yourself. It's, it's for somebody else. And I think for the first moment since getting into radio, ironically, was like, yo, now you have a different passion. Like passion is going to always be there for, for the career. Um, and, and, you know, obviously my wife, like our relationship, but this is something else. And now you're responsible. You're responsible for, for, for bringing life into this world and making sure that he's good and that he's going to be good. So I don't know. I, t- I took it as like, it was like one of those, I don't know. It just, it was like a more of a responsibility thing. It was a, the great, one of the greatest days of my life. But it was like, oh, okay, now the real work starts. <laughs> you know, it's like you're not living for yourself anymore. Did you, we talked about being affectionate and how your dad wasn't necessarily affectionate with you. Did you decide going into fatherhood, okay, I am going to be so super affectionate. My kid is probably going to hate me by the time I'm four or five. Oh, because I <laughs> in the belly. I'm reading stories to him. Hey, hey, it's me. Yo, what's going on? Hey, it's, hey, I'm just letting you know when I see you. Hey, you know you're going to say dad at first, right? So I want you to get used to this voice. And sure enough, he two, at two months, he said dad at. So I'm like, I, I stick it to my wife all the time. Like, she's like, he didn't say that. I'm like, no, he said that. Uh, you didn't hear it. But yeah, to answer your question, I I, I knew for I was going to be, I'm going to be that dad. I'm going to continue to be that dad. You know, when, when it comes to the games, whenever he gets into sports, I'm not a sports guy at all, but I will be sideline, rooting him on, figuring out, yelling at coaches. I'm going to be that dad, man, for sure. Are, are you not a sports guy because of the asthma? Is, 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 is that why? Asthma played a big part. Asthma played a yeah. big part, man. You did yeah. research, man. Asthma played a big, big part. Same, was same. Fun. It was the same. I like, I, I couldn't run really all that much beyond what the cross country guys could do. And I, I was, I was a senior on JV because I just could not get my lungs. I know. So me and you have something in common. I was a senior on JV as well. <laughs> yes. I was a bench brother. They call me the, the, the bench brother. Me and my boy, Richard, we call each other the Pine Bench Brothers because we always rode, rode the bench our senior year. <laughs> I didn't care about any of that, but I was like, yo, I, I can actually say I made uh, the, the, the squad for a second. But no, nah, yeah. it, 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 it played a huge role in me not being active because, I mean, you talk about cross country. I couldn't even run. We had something called the Jogathon in elementary, right? Yeah. And it's like, you know, you do a couple of laps, it's sponsored by whoever, what, right? I couldn't even do that. I couldn't even finish that. So it always was, when it came to sports, running, being active, I just knew, okay, I can participate to a certain degree, but I can't really be good. Right. I'm not going to put the practice in to actually go overtime yeah. in this. So Did you I'll have get the, the inhaler? jersey, I'll get a roar. Do you have the, the inhaler? Uh, grow- See, insulin. I, I didn't have the inhaler growing up. They, I don't know what it was in the 80s. They gave me this liquid called Quiberon. That just the just the smell of it, the odor, makes you want to throw up. It was it was awful. I didn't get an inhaler until I was probably like twenty five or thirty. Wait, so you would would you would drink it? Would you yeah. smell it? How? Yeah, I would I would I would drink it. It would be like in this kind of measuring cup spoon, and it was terrible. It was so you so never bad. had the the treatment, the breathing treatments, none of that. No, not until high school, and even in high school, the only breathing treatment I got was when I actually had to go to the hospital because I ate some dried fruit that had sulfur dioxide in it that I'm allergic to that triggered the asthma. And my, you know, my I woke up, lips were blue, fingernails blue, everything. Oh. Okay, let's go to the hospital get the breathing treatment, and that was the first yeah. time that I had the breathing treatment. I'm like, why am I not getting this at home? Like, what, why? I should have had this. Yes. What are we doing? Why, why do I have to come here for this? Yeah, yeah. Vinylin, I, I mean, I grew up on Vinylin. And, and literally, like, 
the same year that I moved into the apartment, which we did homegrown, that was the last year I ever used my inhaler. It just, it went away. I don't know what happened. And I'm, I yeah. pray to God, I'm thankful for it. I'm just like, I yeah. don't want to ever see this or have experienced that ever again. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm good. So uh, if we keep going back again, June and September, September, 2016. So we talked about your son's birth date, but I feel like September, 2016 is your rebirth date. You've been sure. uh, coming up next month. You'll be five years sober. Yep. Tell me about that decision and what life has been like since. Well, DJ Head, I got to credit him, man. He, one of those uncomfortable conversations he had with me, you know, it just to kind of let people know he was always the sober guy. I was the drunk guy. I was the one that was already, and not necessarily in the party sense, but it was like, I'm the social drinker. He's a straight edge. He doesn't do anything. He's going to be blunt as hell. I'm going to be, you know, I'm the passive aggressive person. You know, I'll, I'll you know, I'm, I'm super nice. I'll talk, you know, I'm, I'm that guy. So yeah. our roles and our responsibilities off and on air were just that. One co- uncomfortable conversation he had with me, you know, it was right around the time we actually got a real 92.3. He was like, hey man, like we've worked at this point five, six years, seven years to get to this point. Why throw all that away over a drink, you know? And we're not talking about just, oh, you you know, I, I would get I would get sloppy drunk <clears throat> to the point where it was like, I when we were doing the apartment, like having, having our uh, shows, I, I would, I, it was infamous that I would fall asleep at some point. I'm, and there's pictures of me and it was, it's, 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 it was funny then, but then looking back at it, it's like, Ooh, that, that could have been a safety issue. Like I would fall asleep and leave my, my house unlocked in Inglewood. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So this, and, and this is, I have a, I have a, a, a girlfriend at the time, you know, who's going to be my wife eventually. Like this is just unsafe, you know? And thankfully I have people looking out for me. So that conversation he had, he's like, look, that shit was cute then. Now we're here. We had a professional setting. We're at Real 92.3. I'm going to just let you know now. He's be, just be, I don't think I've ever said this on, on, on tape before. But he's like, yo, I can't look out for you after this. Like, this is my warning to you to let you know, like, hey, if, if something happens, while, whether we're on air or off air, I can't associate myself with that because we're taking it to new levels. We have to expand. We have to, you know, upgrade. Yeah. And it, it, it hurt my feelings. But at the same time, it was like, no, he's right. You, you have to come on, like step this up. What is it about yourself that that can't put down a drink? Because I've stopped drinking for a couple of months here and there, but I would always go back harder. And at that moment, I'm like, okay, there, there's something here. Let me let me figure this out. Um, and I just made that decision at that point. All right, let me just stop. I'll leave it alone for right now. Didn't really have a conscious date as far as like I'm gonna stop for a year or anything. I just let me just stop. Let me just unplug. Um, and ironically that weekend, me and my wife had a, um, a tequila convention that we were going to in Las Vegas, <laughs> but a bunch of friends, of we course, were already set course. up to go there that weekend. Um, and I made it through that time. And when I made it through that weekend, I said, okay, I think I got something here. I, I think I can do it. Um, and then, you know, obviously Thanksgiving, all these family and social events were yeah. happening. I passed out after I got to the new year. Um, and then my wife's birthday was, was on January 27th. I said, okay, I, I can do this. I, I can, I can actually put it down and, you know, find different substitutes, things that, you know, from coffee or whatever the case may be. Uh, but it, it stemmed from that uncomfortable conversation with Ed and just saying like, yo, like you, you don't want to give everything that we worked for, for a, a sip, for beer, for a shot. Like, he's like, I don't drink, but I mean, there's nothing that's worth it to me like that. So I, I made a list of all the things that I had worth losing, you know, 
just because of a, of, of a and I, I, I made it super little of a, over a sip of drink. Like if, if it's worth losing all that, then go ahead and do it. And of course the answer was no, it's not worth it. So that's what really kind of like had me stop at that point. Uh, how did perspective change in the last five years compared to like, let's say the previous five years? I mean, I was super, I became super focused just on the things that I wanted to do. Like it, it helped me, it helped me hold myself accountable for money I spent. I mean, my time, my energy, my fo- my focus within the career and realizing like, oh, you don't need this to get that. Because I was under the assumption, oh, I need a, I need a shot to, you know, to, yeah. to feel good you, for the interview. You, you I need play a, the role. Need a beer. Yeah, he, he's, he's the straight edge uh, blunt guy and you're the, you know, the, the fun, I'm going to drink a little bit or a lot of it. Guy. I mean something. It, right. was, it was wrapped up in my identity. So that to, to kind of pull back that layer and say, well, no, that's not really who you are. That's an addition, you know, but it's not who you are. It doesn't define you. Um, it it allowed me to see like, oh, okay, these roles that we're placing on ourselves, I don't have to live and die by those. And for me, that was the biggest thing that I took away from it. I said, okay, I like that. I like the fact that I can kind of rediscover myself. I like the fact that I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not boxed in by this, you know, and it was, it was awakening moment for me for real. And it, it didn't really dawn on me until like three years after, to be perfectly honest. Cause I was just, I was winging it the first couple of years. Like, <laughs> all right, well, I, I think I made it. All right. I'm not drinking here. I think I'm cool. But, and even to this day, when people ask me about it, I still get tempted. Like it's not something that ever goes away. It, you right. don't sit there and say, okay, I'm done drinking. And it's a right. No, you still have these temptations. You still have these things. And I just thought about the other day. I was like, damn, I wish blue moon would hurry up and make a non-alcoholic beer already because that was my <laughs> favorite beer. That was like my favorite brew. And I'm still waiting. So, I mean, you have these moments, but it allows you to say, okay, Oh, you, you, you can get past it. Um, and it just, it allowed me to see, like learn different things about myself that I didn't know these 30 some years. Yeah. Just the idea of, you know, it goes back to origin stories. It's like, well, why do I drink? Well, okay. Well, because it, 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 it takes me out of myself and it helps me get into this character that I know people like, like right. I guaranteed if I get, uh, you know, a couple of drinks here or there, people are going to like me a lot more because I don't necessarily like me not drinking. But I know that other people are going to like me when I am because, I, I, look, look at all these people around me. No, Drunk Chuck was the life of the party. Drunk <laughs> Chuck, I miss Drunk Chuck every now and then. The, the, the bad things, I, I, he can go away. But the, as far as the, so, the, I think the thing that I miss about it the most is the, the social aspect of it, right? Yeah. You know, the social yeah. drinking. And I had to, I had to rediscover how to do that. And, and, yes. and part of that, it, to be honest, it helped out with my interviewing skills. It helped out with radio because I learned a different approach that I probably wouldn't have discovered had I not put it down. So I, I, I'm all for it. Yeah. That, that perspective. Um, I mean, it, it's why if we go back to a couple of years ago, the podcast I was doing then, compared to the podcast now, the, the, then it was just like, Hey, so tell me about your career. And maybe we get into something a little bit, you know, whatever emotional, but now it's like the, these deep, meaningful conversations, because you've got a perspective now where it's like, I'm okay talking about myself now. Whereas before I was just interested in everybody else because I didn't want to talk about myself. I didn't want to share my story. And it's like, now the more you share, the more other people will share will share about themselves and everybody, if everybody just opens up, it's like, okay, this, this is yeah. a real conversation. And it's okay to go through shit. I think for the, for the longest time I, I felt embarrassed, like, yo, I'm not, 
man, okay, people know me as oh they and 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 for the longest time in the beginning, people would still, oh, you still not drinking? Oh, you sure you don't wanna? And I would get tempted like that. I'm like, yo, that's fucked up. Like, why would you do that? Knowing yeah, yeah. and and even though I wasn't I wasn't going through it like that, there's people that's fighting serious addiction in that sense where that can turn their whole lives away. Why would you do that? And I had to look at myself because I was one of those guys too. Oh, you not drink? Come on, man. Go and take a shot or somebody coming for the, for an interview. Right. Come on, man. Come on. Let's just loosen up right now. And, and I had to look at it like, oh, like you said, it's it's different ways in how you approach the conversation. And you have to do some living in order to go through that. And it, it gives you a lot of perspective with the conversations that you have with people. And I, I would imagine, I, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I kind of have a feeling, I, I know what you're going to say the, uh, to this question, the idea of, having a wife, I would imagine, who is super supportive of that. And then, you know, you're welcoming in a son uh, almost two years after gaining sobriety. And all of that, I mean, it it just check those boxes and connect those dots. Yo, things changed in my life for the better the moment I put down the drink. And I didn't realize it. And I, I saw it, like, like you said, one thing after the other, you know, after a year, after a year and some change, after stopping, it was like, oh, about to have a baby. What? Okay. I wasn't expecting that. Like, of course, we've been married for so many years. I, It just didn't, it wasn't on my radar at this point. I thought, you know, we had a little more time. Like, but it, it, it worked out in the perfect sense. My wife, man, talk about supportive. Like, she stopped drinking also. She didn't have to. Yeah. She's been yeah. sober five years, the same, same amount of years that I've been sober. And I always, I'm like, why do you, she's like, because like, I know, I know what it's like. Like she knows me and she knows how difficult of a decision that was. So she never felt, and I'm, I'm assuming, but she kind of told me indirectly, she never wanted to play that role into being that being um, also tempting me. Right? right. So she's like, you cutting it, I'm cutting it. We doing it together. And I, I, I love her to death for that because that, I think I needed that, you know? And I think that's still, I'm, I'm learning more and more things about her in the sense of, Oh, this is the reason why we got married. And I I love having to discover that even almost 10 years into us being married, you know? You say almost because you're like, wait a minute, how long? Yeah, I know. Because <laughs> we've been together for like 13 years. Yeah, it, it gets it gets a little tricky. I've got yeah, all the dates we, here if you need reminders. Yeah, it's okay. Please, it's okay. please. I might, I might need to have you put a pin in that. <laughs> The, June, it's around there, something like that. <laughs> um, you, you're, you're raising a young son, and of course, the events of the last couple of years, and really the last five to ten years, if we want to go back to like Ferguson and and other incidents of uh, 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 deaths of young black men and and young black women in police custody and and at the hands of police. Your son's, you know, is only two, so I would imagine those conversations haven't necessarily started yet. However in your mind and conversations with your wife, what kinds of, what, what kinds of things you're going to, you're going to tell him? Man, to be honest, man, I, I haven't even thought, not, not in the sense of, I haven't thought about it. I don't want to think about that. Yeah. I really don't because one of the pleasures of, of having a son and just having kids, you see the light, you see the world through the lens of the kids. So I've been so detached from, and not to say I don't think about it because we see it all the time. It's there, right? And it's real. But I'm so vested in looking at the his the life through his lens right now where I'm just enjoying 
those first moments. I'm enjoying him, you know, being able to, to count. I'm enjoying him looking at flowers. I'm enjoying all these moments. But when we do have that time of sitting down and having to have those conversations, when he does approach with those questions, I'm going to just try to be as honest as possible and let him know that life as a young black male in this society, in this world is, is different. It's difficult. It's rough, but you can actually make it through. You know, you can actually, you, you, you can, you can get through this. Um, it's tough, man, because when you talk about this, it's not a video game. It's not like, hey, you can just get on to the next level. It's life or death. So as, as optimistic as I am, I also understand the reality is like you can be taken out like that for something you didn't even do, yeah. right? Or or being stereotyped. Um, I, I don't have an answer to that question just yet because we haven't we haven't even start to begin that process, bro. Like, and we're conscious of what he watches on on, on TV and on YouTube. Um, but I would just hope that whatever, whatever, whatever question that he has and whatever, um, whatever question that he has and whatever solution, I just, I just want to be, I kind of, I think it it goes back to my father telling me again, you'll, you'll never be ready. Yeah. And I just have to just approach it when it happens. I really don't know. Yeah. It's it's not as if you can write down like 20 different things to say to him. And uh, depending on the question and he asks you a question, you're like, okay, hold on. Let me get, let me get the book. Okay. That's right. uh, Okay. That's topic 12. All right. I have these. Right. Right. Because the thing is, to be honest, Aaron, like, even if you do, if I tell him the right scenario, Oh, don't dress like this. Don't have your hair like this. Don't do this. Make sure you speak like this hands on a wheel, 10 and two, when you're driving, you can still get popped. And we've seen that. And that's to me, I think that's the most disheartening part about it. We've seen cases where, you know, because I've had those, they've had, my, my, my parents had those same conversations with me. Oh, make sure that, you know, my, me and my mom fought a, a lot for my hair being braided. Like, and I got it braided again, but she, <laughs> she, we, we talked about it in high school. Oh, you don't want to do that because you will be stereotyped and this, that, and the third. And, you know, and I, I fought against that, but now I understand why, why she wants to do that. But it's like, now you're seeing, you're seeing people that are still getting murdered for less and so it's like, well, damn, there is no, like you said, there is no manual. There is no rules. So it, it's, it, it sucks to be honest, but I, I don't want him. The one thing I will, I will say, and I want him to know is that it's not a curse to be black. I don't want him to feel like, oh, being in the skin, you know, being, being who we are, being where we're at, it's a curse. I, I don't want him to grow up that way. So that's, that's the two worlds when I'm, when I'm struggling to answer this question, that's what I'm thinking about. I want to, I want to give him the facts, but I, I want him to be proud of who he is as well. Yeah. So it's like, those are the two worlds that I'm dealing with right now. And also as... not scare him to the point of not wanting to leave the house. Man, bro. It's, it's, it's wild. It really is wild when you think about it, but you're right. It's, it's, I want him to still be a kid. I yeah. want him to enjoy kid things, you know, protect him. But and 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 even something as not even as heavy as that, but you know, me taking him to the playground for the first time, you know, a couple of, like about a year ago, I was so, Hey, don't, Hey, don't touch. It. Uh, I just step back and just let him play because yeah. that's what he's here yeah. for. If he bumps his head, he bumps his head. I'll be there for you. But at, and I think it's, it's, it's a great way of kind of looking at life. It's like, I have to let him live and protect him from the back. Right. Just, yep. you know, let him live and, and do his thing. I'm going to be here. But, you know, he has to live. He's a kid. I don't know on what Instagram I saw this, but it was sometime in the last year or maybe two years or something like that. The idea of um, 
you know, we always are telling our kids, like you said, be careful, be careful, be careful. And that puts in their mindset, okay, wait a minute, I should not take this next step. And it's not just on the playground. It's not just at the beach. It's not just you like, it's okay to be hands off. It's okay to let them ride their bikes down the street and play with the other kids. No, absolutely. And I think we're, we're seeing it now, man, even, even now with, with COVID and, uh, you know, social distancing and things like my son now, he, he's been, he's three. So he had a, a good year and some change before COVID and now a year and some change, you know, with, with the, the, the world as it is right now. So it's why cause he doesn't know what it is to go outside without a mask now, you know? Yeah, and so yeah. just little things like that. It's like, I wonder what psychologically, how that's going to affect him down the line. When, when, when everything down the line, however it changes, like what, what's going to, what's going to be the, I don't know, man. It, 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 it's, it's one of those things you don't want to put fear in their head, but you have to address the reality of what's going on. You know? And, and apparently I can't add because yes, your son is three. I mentioned he was two because apparently 18 and 21 is only two years apart. <laughs> and, and maybe, maybe just 2020 just didn't happen. I didn't happen. even realize it. I didn't even realize you, you said two. Hey, I, I, I didn't, I didn't catch it. <laughs> you brought up the braids and this is not a white guy telling uh, a black guy that he looks like another black man, but uh, I did a go. deep dive Ooh. on the Instagram and it's on your Instagram. Home. It's quick. It's quick. Okay. I can't. I, I, it. DJ Quick. <laughs> DJ Quick. I get DJ Quick all the time, bro. I, had, I I had, I not done, DJ... had I not done that deep dive this morning, I don't know that uh, I would have thought it, but now I can't not see it. <laughs> I've met Quick. I've met Quick a couple of times. And one time I told him, I was like, yo, I get so many comparisons to, to you, bro. He's like, yeah, you do kind of look like my nephew. I'm not going to even lie. Right? <laughs> so if he, I got the cosign from Quick. So I. At that point, I just had to just accept it. Like, just all accept right, it. Yeah. Y'all see something. I see, y'all, y'all got it. How has hip hop changed in the last 13 years? And I say 13 because that's the lifespan of homegrown. Yeah. Uh, social media. Like if you if you aren't hands on as, as a hip hop artist with social media, if you don't adapt to what's going on now and use these tools, it's, it's a wrap for you. Yeah, and, and you have to use it to your advantage. Whereas before it was like, oh, yeah, OK, I don't have to embrace these things, but I can I can I can. I can be talented in the sense, right, um, and still succeed in my own way. And what I mean by that is, like, you can still be in, in your own little bubble, your own little world, and have fans really discover you by way of performing live shows and, and you know, hitting the circuit that way. Yeah. Now it's kind of like you have to embrace social media. You have yeah. to. You have to utilize these tools that are here because – there, there are tons of fans that are waiting to discover you. And that's one of the biggest things about radio that I, that I kind of disagree with, uh, or at least people's projections on radio, is that radio is not meant to break music. That was an old thing back in the day. It doesn't happen like that. Social media is where it's at, and, and I feel like artists need to embrace that. And, and what, it is, what, what that allows, it allows the artist to be 100% authentically themselves, right? Whereas before, and you still have, you, you still have these narratives of, creating songs a certain way or you know fitting into this mold to to have the audience embrace it right but it you can make that happen from your own house now way more than you could 13 years ago you know you yeah you, you can now have your, your studio equipment in your garage right and 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 come up with a hit and we've seen it time and time again versus having a book book studio time having to get an A&R having to get all these things that came with uh you know popping a hip-hop star at, at, at one point in time but I, I think it also allows messaging you know and, and people's 
you know, what, what people are passionate about, things they want to discuss in music. It, it allows them to kind of open up way more than they have before, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, just doing this podcast, I started it out kind of in that old mindset of, okay, I've got a podcast. I'm going to create these audiograms where I'm just going to put a picture up and then you're going to hear audio and I'm going to promote it on on uh, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Uh, now it's like, no, it's it's on YouTube. I've got the full episode on IGTV. There are videos. It, it you, you cannot limit yourself to just one platform or even two or three. Yeah, for sure. No, and, and again, <clears throat> artists, and, and, and artists in, in hip hop and just creatives in general, you have to adapt to these things. And and what's true now is going to change next year. And and it's changing yep. even faster. And just being being okay with that, being used to that, getting out of your comfort zone. Um, and I, I think that that ties into music as well because we hear these stories from people um, as a result of that as well. Uh, how does DaBaby survive what he's been going through the last uh, week or two after the homophobic comments leading up to Lollapalooza? Man, I mean, he 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 apologized. I mean, I think at this point, you just have to sit back. You just have to sit back and just kind of let the chips fall, bro. Like I I don't know how he bounces back, but I know <clears throat> we've seen seen it happen in the past where um only time is going to tell. It really is, but I I think he's making those steps. I I, I think initially when you think you we you know how we have something called thinking that you're bigger than the program when you think you're bigger than the program you'll be reminded that you're not you know and i I think it was a a great awareness for him to say oh okay there's other perspectives that i need to actually adapt to and understand and 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 people's messaging that i have to really understand it and and taking take into consideration for sure but i think he'll be fine and next and by next year i think it'll be water under the bridge i think he'll he'll learn something from this and i think he'll make extra steps into this and, and, and showing people that he really understands. And it's not just a cookie cutter um, apology. Cause I think that's what people get a sense of now. Oh, he just apologizing because he's getting canceled right now. I think he'll really understand like, Oh no, that was wrong because of X, Y, and Z. All right. Next way I'll approach it this way. You know, if I, he's a smart dude, yeah. he's a smart dude, man. I've met him a couple, met him a couple of times. He's a smart dude. And I think that he just got caught up. If I'd asked you a few years ago, what's next, I, I think probably, uh, you would have said the idea of, of you and Head doing the um, nightly show, Homegrown Radio, that would be what's next. You've got your own billboard now uh, in L.A., at least at least one, right? Um, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's multiple ones now. They have them up through in, in a couple of different cities. Yeah. Um, oh, it's just an amazing feeling, bro. Like, I, I wouldn't – if you would have told the 10-year-old me what's happening now – I probably wouldn't believe it only because I was happy by getting one of my first gigs in 2004. I was like, Oh, I did it. I I accomplished my goal. (laughs) So now anything after is just a plus. So what's next? What's next is just continue to expand, man, expand the brand. Cause I feel like there's still ways that um, homegrown radio can, can build and, and kind of to answer your question too, or piggyback off the last thing you were talking about, social media is going to change or whatever the next thing is. I just want homegrown to be a, a, a player in that. So whatever the next thing is, I want you to know homegrown radio, Chuck Dizzle, you know, myself, a part of that brand as well. And of course me and head going to continue to stay, stay rocking. Um, and immediately I would love to see what we're doing um, be syndicated. Right. And, and maybe have different flagships of homegrown in different areas. Right. So of course we have LA on lock, but you know, 
maybe Kansas City, you know, there, there's some some artists out there that need some some love and support the way we support our artists out here in LA or, you know, just just flagships in different cities that we can actually, you know, do do a part of the homegrown name. Chuck, thank you, man. This has been great. I appreciate it. Um, thank you. And I, I appreciate the patience, man, <laughs> going back and forth. <laughs> I, I look forward to talking to you again, bro. You can watch this episode on YouTube and DBNA TV. Follow the Aaron Bender podcast on your favorite platforms and link to it at AaronBender.com. That's also where you can find all my social media. If you have guest ideas or comments, email me AaronBenderMedia at gmail.com. Be well, and thanks for listening.